Good morning. Morning. (laughs) Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty. My name is Chris Jimerson. I'm Minister for Program Development here at the church. And I have with me Peter Langlois, who is your lay leader today. I also bring you greetings from our senior minister, Meg Barnhouse. I was able to speak with her yesterday, as a matter of fact. She is doing very well. She's off the antibiotics that she was on to treat the infection. Yay. So they will uh, be giving it a few days, and then they'll go back and test and make sure the infection is gone. And if all goes well, she hopes to be back with us here in September. She sends you her love. I also want to offer a special welcome to all of our visitors today. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you'll join us for coffee and conversation after the service. Now, we come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. Please say with me the words for lighting our chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Our chalice lighting words are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Here. We gather to explore the mysteries of life together. In this place that is sacred to us, we gather to experience the awe that comes from being a part of the great unknown. On this hallowed ground, we glimpse with wonder that which is larger than us and difficult to fully fathom, yet of which we are an integral part. We gather to ask questions more profound than answers, to dwell together for a while in a great openness of mind, heart, and soul. I think one of the real strengths of this religious community is that we've worked together to develop a common purpose. It's our mission, and we love it so much that we put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. Peter will now lead us in saying our mission together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Because she wanted everyone to feel included in her prayer, she said right at the beginning several names for the holy. Spirit, she said, Holy One, Mystery, God. But then, thinking these weren't enough ways of addressing that which cannot be fully addressed, she added particularity, saying, Spirit of Life. Spirit of love, ancient holy one, mystery we will not ever fully know, gracious God, and also spirit of this earth, God of Sarah, Gaia, thou. And then, tongue loosened, she fell to naming superlatives as well, most creative one, greatest source, closest hope, 
even though superlatives for the sacred seemed to her probably redundant, but then she couldn't stop. One who made the stars, she said, although she knew technically a number of those present didn't believe the stars had been made by anyone or thing, but just luckily happened. One who is an entire ocean of compassion, she said, and no one laughed. That which has been present since before the beginning, she said, and the room was silent. Then, although she hadn't imagined it this way, others began to offer names. Peace, said one. One my mother knew, said another. Ancestor, said a third. Wind, rain, breath, said one near the back. Refuge, that which holds all. A child said water. Someone said Quan Nguyen. Then womb, witness, great kindness, great eagle, eternal stillness. And then there wasn't any need to say the things she thought would be important to say. And everyone sat hushed until someone said, Amen. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together. We breathe together and we feel one another's loving presence around us. Breathing together, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom and yet great mystery. The spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter a time of silence together remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of the silence in this congregation. Now breathing together, let us enter a time of sacred silence together. What if I told you that science has shown that there might be a relatively simple way you can become a more compassionate, ethical person, increase your life satisfaction, slow down your perception of time, and improve your health? Now, what if I told you that to gain those benefits, all you need to do is to have more experiences of mystery, awe, and wonder, brought on at least in part by a sense of your own relative insignificance given the enormity of our universe and the vastness of time. The good news is, paradoxically, the experience often also involves a mysterious, ineffable sense of expansion of connection to even oneness with all that is, ever has been, and ever will be.
Within these experiences, there is also a sense of non-duality, that the ultimate reality is non-linear and much more complex than can be expressed through either-or thinking. Now, broadly defined, these are sometimes called mystical experiences, and mysticism, a belief that this type of experience is necessary for faith, can be found within all of the major world religions. Mystic sects have developed within each of the world's religions that have created various practices, some very solitary and some communal, intended to bring about these kinds of mystical types of experiences. Within the monotheistic religions, mystics believe that one can only know the ultimate reality of God through this mysterious, awe-inducing, direct experience of the divine. And this is because God is so large and so great, so beyond our usual comprehension. God is beyond what words and and concepts can capture. And so this ineffable and fleeting experience of oneness with God is necessary to have faith for these folks. For instance, many Hindus have concepts called the Atman, that's the individual soul of the self, and the Brahman, a sort of cosmic overarching soul. The merging of the Atman into the Brahman is necessary for Hindus for human beings to end this continuous cycle of suffering and death. Paradoxically, though, the Atman has always been the Brahman. The Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they all also contain mystic sects. For example, the Muslim Sufis engage in practices and a way of life intended to bring about experiences of the divine, experiences of awe and wonder over a sense of both insignificance in the face of the divine and, at the same time, oneness with the divine. Again, we find that sense of paradox and non-duality. Now, Notably, mysticism doesn't require belief in a deity at all. Uh, For instance, in Taoism, there is a mystical sense that one must flow into the Tao, which is literally translated the way, and it's more a process, pattern, and substance underlying all that exists and that can't be grasped as an intellectual concept. It must be lived and experienced. Likewise, the Buddhists have this concept they call no self or release of self that must be experienced in order to know Dharma. Dharma is the ultimate reality that involves constant paradox and change. But even the very concept of non-self for Buddhism is non-dualistic. It's like the flame in our chalice, which visibly exists to our eyes, and yet is actually being burnt away and begun anew in each new instance, and therefore also does not exist. And one can certainly find mysticism within Unitarian Universalism. 
The transcendentalists of the 19th century developed at least in part in reaction against what they viewed as the overly staid, overly intellectual Unitarianism of that time. They argued that an experience of the oversoul, a kind of oneness between God, man, and nature was necessary for spiritual development and missing within Unitarian worship at that time. For the uh, transcendentalists, they often experience wonder and awe through being in nature. Ralph Waldo Emerson, perhaps the most well-known of them all, wrote of an experience he had in a forest. Standing on the bare ground, all mean egotism vanishes. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. Likewise, the Universalists have also long had elements of mysticism within that religion, and later, after the Universalist and the Unitarians merged, many folks with a spiritual grounding in the Earth-centered faiths came into Unitarian Universalism and also brought experiential practices into our religion. Today, even many Unitarian Universalists, or UUs for short, many UUs who ascribe to non-theistic, or at least firmly undecided, humanism or naturalism, nevertheless also consider themselves mystics. We even have a national UU mystics and community group with a website, newsletter, and Facebook page. Now, rather than describing experiences of a deity, these UUs describe having had an experience of an ultimate reality or a, a oneness with all of humanity and with all of existence. Often, these are brought about through encountering the wonders of nature, contemplating the mysteries of our universe, or engaging in ritual practices such as meditation. Even loss, sorrow, and feeling the mysteries of death can sometimes lead to mystical experiences. Here is a story from someone who found themselves in just that situation. It was a few weeks after my mom died. I was lying in my bed the evening after her memorial service. I was experiencing this strange mixture of grief and gratitude all at once. Gratitude that she was no longer suffering. Gratitude that I had been able to be with her until the very last. I'd been able to look into her eyes and tell her how much I loved her and how grateful I was for all she had done for me. I held her hand and sat with her even after she had fallen silent and her eyes had gone dim. I was there at the sacred moment when she exhaled her last breath. At the same time, I was feeling overwhelming sadness and grief over losing her. I had this sense of unreality. How could it be that I would never see her again? Never get to hug her again or tell her that I love her. And there was this feeling of being unmoored. With my mom now gone, I felt unanchored in my world, adrift and floating without direction. 
And as I drifted between fitful sleeping and then waking up, being washed over by great waves of sadness and sorrow and contemplating the mysteries of life and death and my own mortality, I suddenly had this experience of spreading out, dissolving into that that was all around me. It's hard to describe, but it's as if I was in the leaves of the trees in my yard and the roots of the plants in my garden. I flew in the birds, swam within the creatures of the sea, moved within my fellow human beings and the myriad creatures of our earth. So too was I in the rocks and stones, in the wind and rain, ever-expanding, ever-dissolving, ever-no-more, and yet ever-everywhere. I would swear it was not a dream. It didn't feel like a dream. It seemed more real than a dream, somehow more real even than day-to-day reality. And then it stopped. I was in my room again, me again. And yet, I felt a greater sense of peace, a greater acceptance. The grief and sorrow weren't gone, but somehow the unreality was no longer so present. The feelings I was having seemed more right, more necessary. And then, I have no idea why, but into my head popped the one about how the Dalai Lama orders pizza. He just calls up and says, make me one with everything. And that terrible joke sent me into a burst of giggles. I realized that I couldn't remember the last time I had laughed or felt joy. And suddenly, I knew that I would eventually find my bearings, get anchored in my world again, I would miss her profoundly the rest of my days. And yet, the love I knew for her would go on, carried within an all-encompassing love that is enduring and may well even be eternal. So that story is an example of how in some way delving into mystery, allowing ourselves to be drawn into that sense of awe and wonder, letting mystical experience happen if it comes, seems to be helpful to us. As I mentioned earlier, scientific research is beginning to discover that it can be beneficial to us, whether we associate such experiences with a divinity or not. I don't know why this might be true. It's a mystery. I think I think maybe it is a result of a response to the situation in which we all find ourselves. Perhaps it is a shift in perspective that brings us both humbleness and a sense of expansiveness and possibility. 
David Eagleman, a neuroscientist at Stanford, illustrates this perspective shift through describing what happened some years ago when NASA conducted the ultra-deep field experiment. In this experience, NASA repeatedly pointed the Hubble telescope at a tiny point of our sky that appeared to be completely dark, so tiny that it would be the equivalent to our perspective of looking at the tip of that pencil held at arm's length. They used technology I, I don't completely understand, but what they were hoping to do was to capture any light photons that might have emanated from that tiny patch of space that wouldn't be visible to the naked human eye, but could be detected through the Hubble lens and through their technology. They thought they might discover a few stars previously unknown to them. Instead, they saw thousands of galaxies, trillions of stars like our own in just that tiny patch of dark sky. And because the light from those galaxies had traveled such a great distance to reach the lens of the Hubble telescope, it had taken a very, very long time for it to cross that distance even at the speed of light. Those thousands of galaxies, those trillions of stars in that tiny patch of our sky had existed billions upon billions of years ago. Now, place ourselves and our lifespan within that immensity. The enormity of the size of our universe and the vastness of that kind of time period. It's humbling and yet awe-inducing. For Eagleman, the enormity of the mysteries that surround us, the vastness of what we don't know, far from being frustrating, is full of wonder, creative potential, and almost infinite possibilities for new discoveries. In fact, he calls himself a possibilian and rejects both fundamentalist, literal interpretations of the world's religions, but also rejects the absolute certainty expressed by some of the neo-atheists. He quotes Voltaire, that's right. He quotes Voltaire who said, Doubt is an uncomfortable position. Certainty is an absurd one. Over the past 400 years, science and mathematics have brought us wondrous discoveries about how our world and our universe work. It has created amazing advances in technology. It has even expanded the average human lifespan. And yet, all that we do not know in this incomprehensibly vast universe means that ours is still a very, very small island of knowledge floating in an almost infinite sea of mystery. If we think of our current knowledge as that island surrounded by an immense sea of what we do not know, that means that even as we learn more, as our island of knowledge grows, the circumference, the perimeter of where our knowledge bumps, bumps up against the sea of the unknown, also expands. We generate even more questions and more potential discoveries to explore. 
Now that sea of the unknown includes that which we cannot yet explore scientifically because our scientific toolkit doesn't yet have the ability to observe and measure it. It is the yet-to-be-discovered territory, the possibilities within our island within which our island of knowledge will continue to grow, continue to take us into new understandings and new possibilities. The unknown also includes the meaning-making and the experiences of beauty that we create for ourselves over and over again, generation after generation as we learn more and create new metaphorical understandings. The art poetry and theater and dance and literature and storytelling and music that we have not even yet imagined. And the unknown also includes how we're interconnected with our web of all existence in ways that we do not yet fully understand. Given this perspective, how can we not be mystics? How can we not look out over that sea of mystery and be filled with awe and wonder? Perhaps, perhaps our human capacity for mystical experience is there to give us a glimpse into that almost infinite sea of mysteriousness that surrounds us, to help us gain that shift in perspective, to fill us with a sense of humility expansiveness and interconnectedness all at once. My friends, we call ourselves a people of faith. The very word faith implies an acceptance that there is much we do not know, that revelation is not sealed, but rather is continuously unfolding. Given that, Shall we embrace the unknown, praise uncertainty, celebrate nearly endless possibility? What if we did that? What if we dive into the sea of mysteriousness and swim in its vast waters at least from time to time? Might it be where the divine is yet to be discovered? Now, please join me in our word for extinguishing the chalice, which is printed, uh, which are printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Go now with hearts overflowing with hope. Go now, knowing that the love in this community goes with you until we are together again. Go now and create justice in our world, filled with the courage to do so and the joy of knowing that nearly endless possibilities still stretch before us. May the congregation say amen and blessed be. Go in peace.